And so the point of judges is to show and to illustrate that we do not have the ability to govern ourselves without a standard given by God. If everybody, just like Judges says, everybody does what is right in their own eyes, it only creates chaos and destruction and sin. So we have to make an effort of applying ourselves to God's word. Everything in the Bible applies to us today. The question is not, does this apply? It's how does this apply? Yes. Yeah. And because it's completed in Christ, instead of withdrawing from the world, we're commissioned to go into the world. I want to thank you so much for joining us for another one of our devotionals. I know we're super excited with our new setup and I'm, I'm, I'm always, always probably going to, you know, start it this way because I am extremely excited and I have a ton of fun being able to do these with uh, my husband, Caleb. So it's been a lot of fun. And today we're going to be talking and going, going through morality and kind of defining morality, how do we get morality, you know, explaining why the Bible is a valid source to study and learn and say, you know, as a valid source to base your moral values on. Because there's a lot of things out in society, a lot of opinions, stuff that's being pushed through education, through culture, just culture itself and other things where people, you know, they they struggle with finding a basis for defining morality or defining, okay, what is right and what is wrong. And that's basically what we want to talk about is what is right and wrong. And (laughs) in some ways, it's kind of crazy that 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 needs to be talked about. But uh, as you'll see in a little bit here, culture, especially the culture today, is really everything is your own truth, whatever's true to you. True, there's no, there's no flat line truth. There's no one hundred percent truth. Truth is subjective, and that's not true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even As, by their own argument, that's not true. <laughs> you can just beat them with there. It's impossible yeah. to have where truth is objective mm-hmm. or or to say like, well, whatever I believe is right. But if you believe something that's total opposite of what I believe, you're still right too. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But it, it doesn't that's how, work. That's even how culture portrays that in practice or in in uh, concept. But in practice, it's if you don't believe what I believe, then you're canceled. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're not allowed to do anything. You shouldn't have any rights. You shouldn't exist. You're not a human. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's it's ridiculous. It's like it's and and we'll see that when we go through uh, the passages that we're going to be going through today starts in Judges, and you see that the overarching story of Judges is just that that Joshua led the people of God into the promised land. And then over time, you'll see this theme verse here, which, which we can jump into. And uh, it's in Judges 17, 6, and also at the end of Judges. I don't know if you have that one or not, but it's this, mm-hmm. it repeats itself. The last verse of Judges, but Judges 17, 6 says, In those days, there was no king in Israel, and every one did what was right in his own eyes. And this is exactly what, what people try, this is what you get when you reject, re, reject the truth of the word of God is everyone begins to do what is right in their own eyes. There's no, 
standard for morality. And so what you see patterned in Judges is after Joshua takes the children of Israel into the promised land and they begin to take the land, they didn't fully drive out the Canaanites. And because they didn't fully drive out the Canaanites, they started uh, intermingling with some of the Canaanites and they started taking on some of their practices, worshiping some of their gods. And you see this Biblical morality begin to deteriorate some from the beginning of Judges through the end of Judges. And what happens is every single cycle, it's like God raises up a judge who brings the people up, like they're humbled, they cry out to God, they ask for help, and then God gives them a, a deliverer. And then once they're delivered, they fall back even worse. So it's like this spiral effect where they spiral slowly in cycles until it's worse and worse and worse, until you get to the end of Judges, and it's complete chaos. Morality seems to be absent. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's like like you can't even read it to certain age groups of people of what happens in the, end of, in the end of Judges because it's so graphic that people would even think that way. And the theme from that is in those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And so the point of Judges is to show and to illustrate that we do not have the ability as mankind to govern ourselves without a standard given by God. Mm -hmm. We do not have the ability. And we do not have the ability in and of ourselves to define what is right and what is wrong. Because depending on who you talk to, what they think is right Mm -hmm. could be something that somebody else is like suffering from because they, and, and that's something that we can do as humans is we can logically try to basically make anything okay to do between like how we think about it or how we feel like, well, I just feel like I should be able to do this. Like, (laughs) you know, I just feel like I should go into any store I want to and take anything off the shelves because they're just charged too much money and they shouldn't charge this much money. So I'm just going to steal from them because that's what I think is right. It gets into this like victim, like when it comes specifically to that, the way people justify stealing, you can see it's crazy. It's like, well, that corporation is big enough and corrupt enough and they don't need my money and and we're just going to go in because and take what's what's rightful or rightfully ours because corporations and people with money are the enemies of society so they, it's like they think they're robin hood yeah <laughs> you know? and it shows how if, if it's left to our justification. Own, own way we can try to mm-hmm. rectify immoral behavior yep. and try to say oh no my this immoral behavior actually isn't immoral because of a, B, C, and D and make up whatever argument we want to try to make up to fit our beliefs or fit our viewpoints or make us feel better because we don't want to have to deal with the guilt of a conscience or have to deal with, oh man, you know, I need to change. Maybe I'm doing something wrong, but rather than than do that, it's it's easier to try to, to, uh, rectify yourself than to try to prove to why you're wrong you're right when someone else is wrong but if everybody just like judges says everybody does what is right in their own eyes it only creates chaos and destruction and sin and and society deteriorates and erodes 
Mm-hmm. And so you can see the mercy and grace of God, even in that society, that his covenant with his people, that he maintained covenant with them. They broke it over and over and over and over and over again. And he kept reaching out and reaching out and reaching out and reaching out. And you even see the deliverers that he raises up get progressively worse yeah. until you get to Samson, where Samson is just, he's he's got all kinds of mess <laughs> going on. And then finally, God begins to, with Samuel transition from judges to a kingdom. Mm-hmm. And so you see with, with good rulers like David for a little while, Saul, and there are a few good rulers uh, in Israel's history, but it's a, it's really a pattern that continues through Israel's history because after David, there was kings that weren't good. There were kings that did worse and then did worse and then did worse. And then a few that yeah. did good. And then, what happens is all the way up until they're they're brought into captivity as a nation, and then eventually we get to the stage where Jesus comes and he brings a kingdom that he says is not of this world, and he begins to work on changing the stony heart into a heart of flesh, and he starts dealing with the root of the issue that now we have a, not just the king of Israel, but we have the king of kings and the Lord of lords who should be the one who calls the shots for our lives, who leads our lives. He's Lord of our life. We are his. And so the way that he's given us to live life is he's transmitted this word to us to be able to know what it is that is right and wrong so that it doesn't have to be subjective anymore. It doesn't have to be up to us in what we think. It can Mm -hmm. be clearly laid out because Jesus, the Bible says in John 1, 1, that Jesus is the word of God. Yeah. And what's so good about that is when you look at judges and it says there was no king, they had yeah. no authority, they had no no nothing that they subjected themselves to or listened to or obeyed. Mm-hmm. But when you put that into perspective and say, you know, I listen and obey Jesus. Jesus is my king. Jesus is the king yeah. in my life. And we align ourselves to follow after his teachings and align ourselves to follow after the commandments that he clearly lays Mm -hmm. out for us on what is right and what is wrong. And we can live according to that and see the blessing and the benefits that it will bring into our lives. And it's interesting too, that uh, even Moses prophesied that God would raise up another prophet and he was prophesying about Jesus because This was after the commandments and the law had Mm -hmm. been given and their tribal structure of organizing themselves as a nation did not work. And you can see that there was different leaders at the time. Some of them were just over different tribes. Some of them were, well, they wanted to be king over different tribes, but there was no like unification towards the commonality of scripture or the commonality of the law. It was like, you can see remnants of it and elements of it throughout there. Like, of course you see with the book of Ruth, when they're still in the time of, of the, in the time period of judges, mm-hmm. you can see how, uh, Boaz and Ruth went about doing things according to customs and according to what the law might say. And, and specifically about the Kingsman redeemer. So you can see elements of that, that was still in their society, but there was not a, that's why we it points to our need for Jesus. It points yeah. that that man's governance was not sufficient because the people did what was right in their own eyes. And that's one of the unfortunate things with uh, you know even modern day society with democracy is is there's politicians that they don't 
they their views are not their own. Their views mm-hmm. are whatever they think will get them elected. And so whatever the cultural conditioning of the people will be is what begins to come into power in even in a, a democracy because the of the way that the system and the structure set is set up. Yeah. You know? It's a it's a great strength when society is is whole. And that's where the church the church has more power and more purpose and more importance in society than even the government does because mm-hmm. without the hierarchy that Jesus set in the church with the fivefold ministry and with the word of God and with the the body of believers that he designed it to be set up then there's no facilitation of truth into society and then society begins to wane and then the beliefs of society you can just turn on the news right now and see how everybody thinks that they are absolutely correct and they are all completely different opinions (laughs) and the only truth is that which is given to us by god and Mm -hmm. so that's why jesus said it's even beyond that jesus said i am the way the truth and the life truth is not just truth is in this scripture because jesus is the word but truth is Jesus. Jesus. He is truth. He comes in the spirit of truth. Mm -hmm. And so we want to apply ourselves to know what God has said to us about how we should conduct our lives. The Bible is the moral standard for mankind. Yeah, it has to be the moral standard for mankind because otherwise it just leads to utter chaos Mm -hmm. and utter destruction. You know, 1 John 3, 4. And this is why it's so important that we govern ourselves by the word of God, because it says everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness Mm -hmm. because sin is lawlessness. So you can even have, you know, different laws or, or different things that people are just ignoring from the Bible, biblical teachings, biblical laws, biblical standards that are clearly laid out in scripture that people are ignoring or they don't want to listen to or they they break it. And they're like, oh, it's, you know, it's old fashioned or it's not for me or it's not important or A, B and C. Like I said, we come up with every excuse mm-hmm. under the sun and they do that, but they don't realize that in doing it, they're practicing lawlessness yeah. and that is sin. Well, and What's what's awful is is people can look at that and this is this is the deception of the enemy. The deception of the enemy, if you just tell some people that the Bible is the moral standard for mankind, they will flip a lid. Yeah. <laughs> and how, so how can you say that that's you trust right in that archaic wrong. book that's full of contradictions <laughs> and blah, 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 and they then they go on and on and on about how it's it's a useless book full of fairy tales. But here's the thing is is and I'll get into this a, a little bit here on I'm not going to go into an in-depth history of the Bible because that's, I mean, you can go and study how we got the Bible. Um, mm-hmm. But the word of God has to be the the moral standard. You can read in 2 Timothy 3.13, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. That's what happens. Deceiving and being deceived. You know, even the Bible says in the last days, there'll be a great falling away. Yeah. Falling away from what? Falling away Away from from grace. Falling away from the truth. But as as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And then he says in Titus 3, 3, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But then the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. He saved us, 
not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's so good. This whole chapter is so good. <laughs> but that's one of the things that we see. And this is why the the Bible also tells us if we see someone caught in sin, like you want to, those who are spiritual, restore that brother. But take heed, lest you yourself be tempted and led astray into that same thing. Yeah, you know, even Paul said that he he beats his body and brings it under subjection, lest after preaching to others, he himself should be disqualified. So we have to make an effort of applying ourselves to God's word. Mm-hmm. We have to let God's word. I don't I don't understand why some people who are even Christians, how many Christians who have never even read through the Bible one time? Yeah. One time. It's not even hard to read through the Bible. If you spend 15 minutes a day reading the Bible, you'll read through the whole Bible in one year. Mm-hmm. You know, if your reading speed is a little bit higher, I can read through the Bible and I've well, I've read through the Bible before. I don't do this necessarily all the time because sometimes it can be a lot of reading, but with 30 to 45 minutes a day, you can read through the Bible four times a year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we, we need to apply ourselves to the word of God and the secular debates about truth and about the word of God. We'll, we'll get into some of that here in, in just a, a minute, but I just, <laughs> and that's so important, you know, that we read because as Christians, if you don't read the Bible, if you don't keep it mm-hmm. before you, then it's easy to get deceived. Then it's easy to to make excuses for for lawlessness. It's yeah. easy to try to reason why certain things might be okay, or reason out why I can live this way, or why I can watch these shows, or why I can listen to yeah. this music because God's grace covers everything, right? And they kind of get into this, mm-hmm. this, this. Uh, they trick themselves or deceive themselves into thinking that the lives that they're living is a Christian lifestyle or is something that is uh, laid out in the Word of God when it really isn't. Yeah. And they're living in sin and they don't realize it because you don't keep the Word before you. And it's so important when we do things or if you're starting to make up, you know, be- uh, beliefs or viewpoints on things, take it to the Word and say, "What does the Bible say about this topic?" Yeah. What does the Bible say about this issue? What does the Bible say about this particular uh, thing? Because I'm pretty sure you'll probably find it in yeah. there. <laughs> and you need to you need to do that with everything you believe. Every Christian should have a chapter and verse for what you believe. Yeah, like why you or believe what like, you believe. Let me rephrase that. Two to three chapters and verses on what you believe and why you believe it. Because you can't just take one scripture out of context and create your whole belief system around it. Because mm-hmm. you don't realize that... What you believe in the identity that you have for the most part until you come to the word of God, until you get plugged into the body of Christ, is largely made up and transmitted to you from all of the sources around you, from your family, from your friends, Mm -hmm. from your school, from your job, from all of these other places, from the TV that you watch and the news that you take in. All of these things begin to affect your worldview and begin to make up your identity. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Which means Mm -hmm. the way that you think about yourself is how you are. It's how you will be. You are a, that's why when you start talking about some of these things like this, especially with identity, it can be very hard for people when they're faced, like 
head on with a scripture that contradicts completely something that they had believed to be true because they have to let go of that part of themselves that has developed identity Mm -hmm. out of that subsequent truth. Yeah. But if you really look at, that's why I don't understand. If you look at the, the scripture and the history of the Bible, like modern society exists because of the, because of the Bible. It exists. So then people want to throw out the Bible as some archaic book full of contradictions. Anytime I hear that, it tells me how ignorant the person speaking saying that is. Mm -hmm. Because any contradiction in the Bible just invalidates your opinion of truth. Yeah, because Because the Bible doesn't contradict itself. And so I always always preach if you have if you feel like there's a contradiction in the Bible, it just means you lack understanding. Exactly. There's if you see a contradiction you find what is the opposing verse, what is the what are the two opposing verses, then when you study those out, you find the truth that brings them together. together. And there will always be the truth that brings them together because you take the full counsel of the Word of God. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> and I like, there's even a great, a great uh, documentary out there. I don't know if it's on YouTube or not. It was like Logos in Literacy or, or something like that that basically went through the history of uh, the Bible and the the people of Israel and how modern society was created out of like the Exodus event that happened that God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt was not only powerful enough to establish them as a nation, but he gave them the word. He gave them a law. He gave them uh, literacy. Yeah. <laughs> and in having the word of God, that deliverance not only created Israel, but it created so many structures that are even around in modern society like today. Even how our, governance is done. Our like main judicial branch, some of the rules and regulations that you find within just how they handle the courtroom legislation mm-hmm. came from biblical truths and came from biblical yeah. principles that was laid out within Leviticus on like how to handle this case, how to handle this case. If something happens here, this is what who's guilty, this is who's innocent, this is how you decide these things. And they took those basic teachings from Leviticus and applied it to our current day judicial system. And, you know, whether people want to acknowledge it or not, that's the truth. That's the foundation. And for so long, we even had the Ten Commandments outside the front of the courtroom Mm -hmm. before you had protesters and whatever. That's just offensive. Take it down. But it still doesn't make it any less relevant to today. It doesn't make it any less important. You know, you're like, well, I don't want to acknowledge the Ten Commandments. So it's like, okay, so you you, you like committing adultery. You like stealing. (laughs) You like envying other people's stuff you want to promote murder like that's basically what they're saying if you you state that as like a statement and it's like well where are you getting your moral viewpoint exactly and that's even just from a secular sociological viewpoint to to look at how the bible has impacted society if you look at uh like we haven't even gotten into like the spiritual impact of the bible in society this is just the absolute facts Facts. of history (laughs) right now but um and I don't know if you have anything else you wanted to add before we get into a little bit of of why we can trust the Bible and what the Bible proclaims about itself to be um, true. No, I think that that's good because the other stuff I wanted to talk about was just like laying out like yeah. the scripturally what's right, what's wrong, and where we can get that from. So, so go for it. The first thing that we need to know about the Bible, why can we trust the Bible? Why do we want to put our trust in the Bible? What will the Bible do for us? 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped 
for every good work. Mm -hmm. So do you want to be complete? <laughs> do you want to be whole? Do you want to be equipped for every good work? Then the word of God and applying yourself to the word of God will make that possible. That's just a personal benefit. But then that goes on to show you all scripture is breathed out by God. Mm -hmm. The same way that God breathed into the nostrils of man and man became a living being, God spoke and breathed the life of his word. That's why we believe that God's word is inspired. It is the inspired word of God, the God breathed word, mm -hmm. meaning every word, every sentence, everything that's included in scripture has a purpose. It's not there by accident. It's mm -hmm. breathed by God. The Bible if you look in Second Peter one twenty one, the way that God did that was for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So God brought us the Bible through the writings of 40 different authors over the span of 1500 years. 40 different authors. You think of 40 different authors in different time periods, in different cultures. Some of them were in captivity. Some of them were before the law. Some of them were, were yeah. after the law in the judges. Some of them were in the times of the kings. You, you think of all of these different time periods that, that people wrote inspired by God and they all connect. The Bible really is the world's first hyperlinked document. It's amazing <laughs> if you you know sit down and think about that, how everything connects in the Bible and it comes it, it all builds one parallel story, all builds upon itself. You can find things referenced and, and nothing's out of place or out of line. It all fits mm -hmm. with itself, which is just amazing to think about, especially as as Caleb mentioned, you got different authors over different time periods, over different cultures, in different settings, and all of them at different times created through time itself with all these writings created a cohesive story, a cohesive teaching that applies to us today. Mm -hmm. So, and and one thing that's important to understand now is, is thank God, we're starting to see a little bit of a resurgence of interest, even secular interest mm -hmm. in the Bible. I, I see that with some different podcasts that I've watched and uh, some some different things that you hear online of some people who are getting value from biblical truths and they're you know they might not even be Christian. Yeah. <laughs> but what's what's important here though is the foundation of accepting and believing the Bible is understanding that it is inspired by God. It is God breathed. It's universal truth. It's not subjective. It's not in you not up for interpretation. Mm -hmm. You know, it's clear. You, you you study to find out what it means, but. So I want to read this to you is instead of submitting to the scripture as universal truth, if you don't believe the Bible as inspired truth, instead of submitting to the scripture as universal truth, individuals force the scripture to submit to their preconceived notions of God and humanity. Mm -hmm. If you don't believe that scripture is the inspired word of God, if you believe it's a book of fairy tales, if you believe it's a book of, of men seeking for truth, and if you believe it's the summoned consciousness of a society, um, in their attempt to reach for truth, you know, even if it's that, cause I've seen that be a popular viewpoint now too, is if you just believe that the word of God is just the sum total of humanity's effort to reach for truth and goodness transmitted through stories. Well, then the problem with that viewpoint eventually comes down to the fact that 
it only, if that were true, we would only be getting truth from the sum total of stories of those who could never attain it themselves. Yeah. But we have truth. We have the truth of the word of God. We have the inspired word of God. It's profitable for reproof, for correction, for doctrine. It was transmitted through men by the Holy Spirit. You can see the the history of the Bible, how we came to the 66 books, God's hand through that. You can see even Jesus putting his seal on the canon of Old Testament scripture where he speaks about the blood of Zacharias or the blood of Abel to the blood of Zacharias, like placing his seal of approval on the third. 37 books in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. You can see even in, in Paul and Peter's writings alluding to referencing each other in the sense that they were beginning to take what they had already in the first century of Christianity as inspired words of God, as the, the scripture, yeah. as the Bible. And so we need to understand how important the word of God is, that it's not just something that 500 years after the apostles were around that all of a sudden we started putting this thing together. It's been a, it's, a, a it's round been there. long <laughs> before that, long before that, you know, with just the, the, the teachings laid out in the um, first five books of the Bible. Yeah. Genesis through Deuteronomy, all of those ones had been held on to for years and years and years before um, even the other, some of the other stuff was written. And it's, it's been around, it's one of the oldest books, so to say, with the different writings and the books inside of it that's been on this earth. Not only that, the most widely distributed one, the one that's been mostly tested and proven, because you can have lots of other literature books. Mm -hmm. There's tons of books out there. There's tons of teachings out there. I mean, there's some good books that are very good and beneficial for humankind, but even those ones (laughs) don't leave a mark on history like the Bible does. and, And even all of those books, in history, if you study history and if you study the printing press before the Gutenberg press that basically like created modern day printing and literacy that we have now, like you have to understand when you look at this Bible, you have no idea how privileged and how thankful we can be to even be able to be literate, to read and understand what the Bible says, because that's not something that all of humanity has had throughout history. Mm -hmm. But what happens that's so interesting is even Buddhist monks had a printing press before the Gutenberg press, but the problem was they would use it to print their uh, writings that they believed about Buddhism or Taoism or whatever, uh, uh, beliefs that these monks would have, but here's what they would do with it. They would print these books and then they would put them on shelves. And then instead of reading and studying and valuing the books, the shelves spun, they would sit and meditate to the sound of the spinning books. (laughs) (laughs) And so if it weren't for the Bible, the Gutenberg press in modern literacy that we have, who knows where we would even be yeah. if it weren't for the word of God. And like, and again, that's just from the secular, secular sociological secular. viewpoint of things. That's not even the, <laughs> the, the, the spiritual one. That's just historical yeah. facts. That's just what has happened. That's how it's developed. A lot of things in society all came mm-hmm. from the Bible. You've even, you know, in, in, in the religious stuff, like the helping the poor, all of that stuff. I mean, it, it laid up the society mm-hmm. in a way that, flipped it on its head compared to how things were run beforehand with different nations and different kingdoms and everything. And then Jesus came and presented the gospel and put, you know, you had it all put together and it literally changed Mm -hmm. the entirety of society and how things were run. It totally flipped it on its head. And that was the Mm -hmm. impact of the Bible. Now, why was that? Why did that happen with the Bible and not other books? Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is living and active 
sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. The Bible is a living word. The Bible is a living and active word. It's mm-hmm. not just it's not just something that like it, the word of God isn't even and this would be like people would dedicate their lives to just study a book that they thought some divine being had anything to do with at some point and then just left it. But yeah. the word of God's not even God didn't just like speak it and then give it to us and then leave it. God breathed it it's alive it's not just words on a paper it is living it's mm-hmm. active and so to to think that you can go to the word of god to think that uh like the the story that your grandfather has about how the guy came to him and was like i've teached i've taught it all i've taught everything there is to know i know i've i've read everything there is to know about the bible and it's time to move on to something else it's like oh really Mm-hmm. <laughs> you you must have a very shallow understanding then because this is the eternal word of god we could study this for all eternity and still not get to the the <laughs> you know we see through a glass darkly yeah. the bible says it's like we won't know fully truth until we're able to stand before god and see him as as he is known and it's but all, and it's so beautiful as you know my, my like he was talking about my grandfather pastor paul uh, he 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 probably studied the Bible for yeah. 60, 70 years of his life. And that's what he, he always told me. He said, he said, you can never stop learning. You can never stop getting revelation from the word of God because you're always going to find more and more um, within the word because it's alive. Yep. So then what happens when you take time to read and, and study and meditate on this word, on this living active word? Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Now, that's a first before I finish that verse. Careful to do. Mm -hmm. The Bible is a book of instructions that we can be careful to do. The Bible is not so that you can just be full of head knowledge and full of history and full of whatever. The Bible is so that you can apply and do. And James says that if a man be a hearer of the word only and not a doer, he deceives himself. And so there's lots of people that have commentary, that have, uh, there's lots of even uh, seminaries of mm-hmm. people who they've they've never stepped out to do what the word of God says. They're just teaching the theories of man. And this happened even in the time of Jesus where he said, you, you teach the doctrines of man as though they're commandments of God. Yeah. And so it's important to understand that the book is a book that we do. And so we meditate on it so we can do it. But here's what happens when you do it. For then you will make, you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So you will be prosperous and you will have good success. The word of God makes your way prosperous and it gives you good success. Yeah. 
And that's when you do it, you've got to apply it. And that's what people, you know, as a minister, you'll have people come and say, well, I just having all these issues, A, B, and C, this is so wrong. And then we'll give them instruction from the word of God on what to do to see the change, but they never do it. And then they come back to you and they're like, I just have all these. And I'm like, well, did you do what we told you to do? Well, no, I haven't done any of that. So if you want to, as you said, (laughs) receive the life Mm -hmm. from the word of God, you have to participate participate with it. You have to act on it you have to apply it you have to do it you've got to practice it to see the results of it because if you don't do anything you you know it but you don't do it you'll never see Mm -hmm. results from it just a a couple more verses here and then i know you've got some stuff to get into after that too is psalms 19 7 through 11 says the law of the lord is perfect reviving the soul The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rule of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. That's all you need to know about the Bible, to apply yourself and to commit (laughs) your life to the Word of God. The law of the Lord is perfect. It makes wise the simple. It brings joy. It revives the soul. It's pure. It enlightens your eyes. The Word of God warns you. And in keeping the Word of God, there is great reward. There is great Mm -hmm. reward. Because what's the alternative? What's the alternative? The alternative that people think that they want is a a life that is not bound by anything so that they can just go and do whatever they want. They don't realize that by not taking the time to enforce the boundaries that God set for humanity to have on our lives, that they give themselves to be subject over and in bondage to sin, to death, yeah. to demon spirits, to the flesh. And it's like, you're not free to do whatever you want, even if you think you're free to do and that's whatever what the you Bible want. You'll says, be in bondage. Because we'll, we're always serving. We'll either be a slave yeah. to God or we'll be a slave to sin. Exactly. So we we can basically choose mm-hmm. who do we want to end up serving. Do you're we a servant serve, to whoever you obey. Mm-hmm. Do we want to serve our flesh? Do we want to serve sin? Do we want to serve destruction? Or do we want to serve life? Do we want to serve holiness? Do we want to, like Caleb just read, all the benefits that come with following after the word of God. Yep. And applying its principles to your life. Jeremiah 29, 11. I think every, <laughs> well, not every, but most Christians have heard this passage. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So what does the word of God give us? It gives us insight into the plan that God has for us. It gives us insight into the way that he wants to lead us. It's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We hide it in our hearts so that we don't sin against God. But his plans for us, his his plans for us are 
better. It's higher. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His plans for us are infinitely better than anything that we could have just thought up and done on our own. That's why I don't understand why anybody would hold back from giving everything to God because you get so, you get a life better than you could have ever even imagined. Even if that life goes through trials and tribulations, so would it be without, yeah, <laughs> without the Lord and you'd be worse off because of it. Even if it ends in martyrdom, you know, you receive a crown of reward for that because yes. this life is just a, a vapor. It's just a wind. It's just like the grass, like the flower of the garden here today and gone tomorrow. And all of a sudden, before you know it, we'll be standing before God and we'll have eternity ahead of us. Yeah. And so you can, you can take what's eternal and focus on that and live your life from that viewpoint or you can suffer. Basically. <laughs> basically. You like, there's not really much of an alternative. Mm-mm. There's not much of there's an alternative. Not. And you can just God's sit, plans for us are good. And you can sit back and just watch. And if you, you know somebody in your life that's actively living a Christian life, actively following the word of God, actively practicing the principles, you'll be able to see the blessings of God in their life. The same way you can sit back and watch somebody who's doing the total opposite and see the chaos and the destruction and the fear and the worry and the depression and all the stuff that they're battling because of it, as Mm -hmm. a result of it. And the, the last thing I just want to touch on briefly here is in Romans chapter 10, in verse 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. And so not only the living word of God produces faith on the inside of us, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We fix Colossians chapter one tells us, or chapter three, I think it is, tells us to fix our things on what's eternal and not on what's temporal. And so we see the promises of God. We see the supernatural Mm -hmm. power of God. We see the things that God has laid out for us. We see the things that Jesus has paid the price for. We see that by his stripes we are are healed. We see that... uh, through that Christ became poor so that through his poverty, we might become rich. We see that the chastisement of our peace was upon him so that his peace can now guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We see that the promise of the father was to pour out his spirit on all mankind and on all flesh so that (laughs) the sons and daughters would prophesy. And we see that fulfilled in Acts chapter two, when people were baptized in the Holy spirit with the speaking of other tongues, which was an utterance by the Holy ghost, Mm -hmm. which is opens you you up and leads you into the, the living a supernatural power-filled life with the anointing of God functioning and flowing through you through the 12 gifts of the Spirit. Amen. You can see that through the Word of God and through the, the Spirit of God that God establishes His church. He establishes His kingdom on the earth by giving the fivefold ministry as a hierarchy of it. So how do all of these things come from that which is eternal into the natural is faith begins to bridge the gap of the promises of God mm-hmm. So that what is, it's the substance of things hoped for. It gives, we walk by faith and not by sight because we don't look at natural things. We look at this into the spiritual and you can see the things and promises that God has spoken out to you and faith begins to lay hold of that. And it's a substance that begins to pull that supernatural promise into reality. And then the word of God, that living word of God 
<laughs> by reading it, faith begins to rise up on the inside of you. The substance of the word gets in you and gives you power and makes you a magnet to be able to reach into the spirit and pull on the promises of God Amen. and bring them into manifest reality. And God does all of this by his grace. All of this, you know, he gives us his word. We just have to read it. And in reading it, faith will come and we can believe him and we can live a life that just shall live by faith without faith. It's impossible to please God. And when we seek God, he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Everything that God wants to get to us comes through his word. Mm -hmm. And the only way that we can receive it is by getting it on the inside of us and building up our faith so that we can reach out to and that promise it. and begin to see it manifested into the natural realm. Mm -hmm. And so you can see how the Bible works all the way from the, the spiritual inspiration of it, from the foundation of the world where mm -hmm. Jesus was, that God breathed it into being through the creation and structuring of society throughout history into the, through the spiritual realities of God unveiling himself, God making things available to us, God giving his power to us, his authority to us, and then giving us a key that unlocks all of it by just putting it in us and it will come. <laughs> mm -hmm. Amen. So it is, it's the guidebook to life. It's yeah. a guidebook on, you know, morality or what's right and wrong, but not only that, but it's a guidebook on how to prosper, how to walk victorious and how yeah. to receive the blessings of God in our life yeah. through faith. And that's so important. And, you know, so I, I want to kind of, are, are you, did you finish yeah, up that's, with yours? That's all my notes. Okay. I want to kind of hit on uh, another thing because we talked about why mankind cannot mm -hmm. explain what's right and wrong. And we mm -hmm. explained why the Bible can and the importance of the Bible. And now I want to kind of hit on what the Bible says about what's right and what's mm -hmm. wrong. Like what is good and what's not good? How do we define morality based on the Bible? And God makes it super easy. And this is where I want to kind of hit on things because people will, will start hearing, you know, you go in and start listening about, well, the Bible says not to do this. The Bible says to do this. The Bible says not to do that. And the first thing I always hear is, well, people say, well, what about the grace of God? We, we can live how we want to because God's grace covers everything. And they get off and they'll use grace as an excuse to basically live whatever lifestyle they want to live yeah. rather than using grace as a tool to empower them to live holy and live righteous because that's what it was designed to do. It mm -hmm. was designed to give us the ability to live according to the law and live according to the rules that Christ laid out to us. And you know, even Jesus said that his commandments that he gave us are not burdensome. Yeah. And people, we, we feel like, oh man, it's just so hard. I can't do this. I can't do that. And we've, we, we feel like we're missing out on stuff or like we can't do certain things and we're just not having fun. Like we should be able to have fun or whatever, but that's not the truth. I mean, what ends up happening is when you live according to what God lays out, you live a better life. Yeah. You live a life that's more fun. That's more exciting. That's more liberating than what you feel like you're giving up. And I kind of want to, you know, lay down these three things because what we're going to look at is the moral law that, that God established through the Bible. Because you'll, you'll hear people, I've seen TikToks and stuff where people come on, they're like, well, if you believe the Bible and they'll, they'll go back to like the ceremonial laws yeah. that the priests do. And they're like, well, you tell us we shouldn't live this way, but how come you're wearing fabric with two fabrics tied together? Yeah, two different or, materials. Yeah, yeah, two different that materials. That was the thing that the priests couldn't do and that Israel was instructed not to do was don't mix fabrics <laughs> in, a, in a garment. <laughs> or, you know, materials. like, welcome, we're not still making animal sacrifices mm -hmm. if we're supposed to follow 
follow the law and, and that kind of stuff. But people don't realize that there were three different main laws that are mentioned mm-hmm. and covered in the Bible. So you have the first one, which is a judicial law, which is governing law. That's that's like with a lot of regulations yeah. in Leviticus on how to handle, you know, if somebody's ox gores his neighbor, who's responsible, yeah. you know, and it kind of lays out how that would be handled in a court system. So that's judicial law. And yeah. we have judicial laws in America, like no speeding. You can't go past the speed mm-hmm. limit. That's a judicial law. Well, a lot of judicial laws that in in the country that we had from its foundation came from the Bible, came from the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. And came from like, you know, do not murder, one of the Ten Commandments. But that's more of a moral law than a judicial, but they took that moral well, yeah, and turned yeah. it into judicial. So seeing how they kind of work together. The next one is the ceremonial laws. And mm-hmm. that's where we get to with like the laws of the priesthood, the laws mm-hmm. of ceremony, the laws of how they're supposed to conduct themselves, how what to they're supposed to wear. God. Yeah, how to worship and approach God. All of these things are ceremonial laws and then the third one is moral law and that's basically what's right and what's wrong what you're supposed to do what you don't do or defining you know what is sin yeah is when we come to moral law so it's important that you understand the differences because they they'll confuse people Mm -hmm. or people try to use it as an argument to like make you sound like a hypocrite because of different things and then people try and pick and choose what in the bible applies to us today and what doesn't spoiler alert Everything in the Bible applies to us today. The question is not, does this apply? It's how does this apply? Yes. So even when you read some of the crazy ceremonial laws that they would have had to do about even mixed, like I'm sure the shirt I'm wearing right now is probably like you know, cotton and polyester. Like cotton and polyester. <laughs> nope, nope. You're kicked out of the nation now. You know, I'm not actually, I don't remember what the consequence for that was, but, and that's why you see a lot of the laws that were in the old Testament as ceremonial. There was a cleansing process to bring you back into fellowship with Israel mm-hmm. because you would just separate yourself for a time, make right what had been defiled and then come back. And so it's not really, Really a question of does it apply because Jesus didn't come to do away with the law and yeah, the prophets. He, he came to, to fulfill, fulfill it. it. It's a question of how does it apply? Mm-hmm. And and putting that together. And and you can see, you know, a lot of it, even the teachings in the Old Testament and the ceremonial laws, you can it's a type and shadow of Christ. Yeah. So you can learn a lot about Christ and how he fulfilled the law when he was on the mm-hmm. earth and how he fulfilled the needs for the ceremonial law with the crucifixion. So we don't have to do, you know, animal sacrifices anymore because Mm -hmm. Jesus was the sacrifice for all mankind. So we can see how he fulfilled those types of laws through his life on earth and how he, he, he completed that. And even with the the tearing of the veil in the temple, showing that we, we no longer have to be separated by God, by the, the ceremonial laws, because we are made clean and righteous through Christ Jesus. So we can enter Mm -hmm. into his throne room, boldly we're no longer separated by a veil anymore but we can come into his presence we can come and 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 commune with god but the one i want to focus on is going into the scripture on the greatest commandment because god makes it jesus when he was on the earth he made it so simple for us to understand what's morally right and what's morally wrong or what to do and what not to do and he lays out what to do he lays out why we should do it and then he lays out not what yeah. not to do and why we shouldn't do it because it leads to death and destruction. So I want to start with, you know, the greatest commandment. And it says in Matthew twenty two thirty six, it says a teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord, your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. 
This is the great and first commandment, and second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depends all the law of the prophets. Yeah. So we can see that with these two commandments, these things, if we can just do that, love God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, and if we can learn to love our neighbor as ourself or, you know, the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, then you can fulfill the entirety of the law. So that's why he says it's not burdensome because when you understand that and you get that right and get that in order, instead of loving myself more than I love God and loving myself more than I love my neighbor, it's I love them equally and I love God even more above all of that, then everything else will Mm -hmm. naturally fall into alignment. And that's why it says in Romans chapter 13 and verse 10, love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Love is the fulfilling of the law. Mm -hmm. And then when it comes to some of the other things, especially the big thing is dietary. (laughs) There were lots of things that Israel could and couldn't eat. We call this kosher. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus at one point uh, had a time where he was talking about how it's not what goes out of the body, but or what, what comes into the body, but what goes out of the body that defiles a person. And in that, it says that he declared all foods clean. And you can see that mirrored again in the book of Acts when Peter was on the rooftop and Cornelius came. When God brought salvation to the Gentiles, he revealed it to Peter that it was going to be his will by saying, rise, Peter, kill and eat to animals that were unclean. And he said, Lord, I've never eaten something that's unclean. And God said, don't call unclean what I have called clean. Mm -hmm. And this is so powerful because this is the beginning that Israel goes from being a secluded, segregated nation that tries to keep out outsiders to fulfilling the great commission of going to all the world and preach the gospel. And this is the important difference of so many of the, I don't want to say obscure, but you know, I don't know what else to describe the mixing of fabrics is (laughs) these laws were designed to keep Israel away from the surrounding nations, the surrounding communities and Mm -hmm. their practices and their religions. It was designed to keep them separate so they could be holy. And so that the Lord could find someone like Mary to then breathe his spirit upon and conceive Christ who would then come and bridge the gap and pay the final price so that he fulfills the the sacrifices so that we don't have to come and sacrifice every year and and pay a sin offering or an atonement offering mm-hmm. we are cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ and because of that now <laughs> since the cleansing is in the offering he's the great high priest that offered once and for all <laughs> the yeah. blood of Christ to cleanse us even our conscience from sins now the commission is not be separate from every single one around you don't let have anything to do with them don't don't intermingle with them don't intermarry with them to now go into all the world and preach the gospel. Now there's still the, you know, come out from among them and be separate and be yeah. holy as I am. As, not as like live the like Lord the world. Holy, not live like the world. He gives us a way to live, but it's not living separate from the world in a sense of being detached socially. Mm-hmm. It's living separate from the world in our moral standards of bringing the world into this promise and blessing that God has for them, into the ark that Noah has yeah. that God created for us through Jesus Christ to save them from judgment. So you see a transitioning in the dispensations of, and I'm not going to get into the whole thing with dispensationalism right now, but you can see the way that God interacts with people our positioning with God as 
uh, as humankind changes because all of a sudden what had to be done in only temporary means time and time again mm-hmm. through Old Testament sacrifices is now completed in Christ. Yeah. And because it's completed in Christ, instead of withdrawing from the world, we're commissioned to go into, into the world. world. And so all of the, the, the laws that were there to keep Israel from going into the world. Now Jesus comes and he says, I've made all food clean. And they even specifically give, uh, what the Gentiles should concern themselves in Acts chapter 15, uh, gives them a list of things that is, that goes along with the greatest commandment, which is simple, which is just not a, no adult, no adultery, no, uh, idolatry, and they had some food laws about eating things that were strangled and blood, which blood was also, uh, Dake wrote a note on that that was great, that this doesn't just mean blood inside of an animal, but blood shed of all kinds in terms of murder mm-hmm. and violence. And so he gives us simple instructions that even the instructions that they gave, the only reason they specified that to the Gentiles was because there was an issue of circumcision. And yeah. should we follow this or should we not follow this? What should we do? And people's conscience were being weak and defiled because they didn't know how they were supposed to live or what they were supposed to do. And honestly, the times that Paul was dealing with is a lot different than we have yeah. today. Like they had like temple prostitutes like, like, and they had like, I mean, just there was this constant society. The society was largely made up of people who were, uh, making sacrifices and doing things to appease a God, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, temple prostitutes and sin and sacrifices to appease a God. And so that's why they had to come in and bring some clarity, uh, specifically to some of, to some yeah. of those things. It's all still falls under the umbrella that Jesus summarized all the law and the prophets in, which is love. Mm-hmm. Love is the fulfillment of, of the law. And so again, it's not a question of does it apply? It's how does it apply? And the way it applies to us is love. Yeah. <laughs> we are held to a higher standard because now it's no longer just committing adultery. Jesus specified if you look on a woman to lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. It's no longer just physically murdering somebody. It's dealing with the heart issue of if you hate your brother, then you've murdered them already in your heart. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, we can be empowered by the grace of God to live in even a greater capacity of commitment and consecration to God yeah. through the blood of Jesus, that all of the laws and the prophets failed to be able to do because if they had done them, the Bible says, then Christ would have died for nothing. Yeah. And he, <laughs> but he, he came and brought the completed work. And, and was able to change holy the and heart. righteous in him. Amen. So that's really exciting. That makes me excited. <laughs> it is. It's super exciting when you understand that. And as a side note, so I don't want to keep going too, too long, uh, is if you want to go and look in, you know, for your own personal time, your own personal study mm-hmm. to say, okay, what does the Bible say about different types of things? Or how do I know what's morally right or morally wrong? Uh, the best one to go is just look at the Ten Commandments and read yeah. after those. You know, you can find that in uh, Deuteronomy 5, if you want to go through and you can read Deuteronomy 5 on your own and it'll list mm-hmm. out all the Ten Commandments because those are moral laws. That still applies yeah. to us today. <laughs> and if you want to, you know, go over things on like what God considered sin, there's a huge mm-hmm. list of them if you go to Romans 1. Yeah, that mm-hmm. well, that's a big thing. I, I'm glad you're touching on that is the works of the flesh in Galatians 5 and Romans 1. Mm-hmm. Like the work of the flesh, the yeah. lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Mm-hmm. And you'll hear me say, well, don't do, you know, we don't do the lust of the flesh. We don't do the pride of the life. We don't, um, 
you know, do these things. And they're like, well, what does that mean? You know, what does it mean mm-hmm. the lust of flesh? What does it mean the lust of eyes? What does it mean the pride of life? Yeah. Well, you can find that listed out in Romans chapter one mm-hmm. and you can just read through and it lists all of them. And that's what we know is right and what is wrong. And it, yeah. it'll tell you, hey, these things are wrong. Don't do these mm-hmm. things. And it gives you a list of tons of things that we shouldn't do as Christians. <laughs> and, and that's important because <laughs> there has to be clear guidelines because it's, Again, it's not just because the law is f- fulfilled in Christ and love fulfills the law doesn't mean you can now then and go and twist that to do whatever it is you feel is right in your heart. It's like, well, you know, we only committed adultery because we loved each other. It's I like, was just okay, loving that's the out person. of context. Okay, <laughs> yeah. you're not you're not doing that right. Or some people say, well, I felt like it would be okay to do that. It's like, well, nobody cares how you feel about it when the word of God says otherwise. Yeah. Okay, so that's important because even sometimes now. Uh, Christians who are under the new covenant will even talk about like things that may be subjectively right or wrong based off of their feelings and as a New you Testament can't believer. Do you that. can't There's do no that. subjectively right or wrong. There's right yeah. and there is wrong and it's clearly laid mm-hmm. out and explained in the word of God. And it's yep. important that we read and know these things so that when people come and try to make their lofty arguments on like, well, you know, love is love. So if you, mm-hmm. like Caleb, his example of someone committing adultery, yeah. you know, she's like, well, I love this person so I'm obeying <laughs> yeah. the law. Like, that's no, not no, really the law. Not. Okay. <laughs> the same thing where you hear a lot in and the that's home. really not even love Mm-mm. actually it's that's so, lust yeah because you're doing something outside and you see the same thing with yeah. the homosexual community well love is love so you shouldn't have an issue with me loving mm-hmm. somebody that's that's you're you're supposed to love people so they'll take those things and they'll they'll twist it and even the bible says we yeah. shouldn't be a lover of the world exactly. it says don't love the things of the world yeah. what does that mean it means the sin the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes the pride of life mm-hmm. we shouldn't have love towards those things or we shouldn't embrace a desire to um glorify them or try to rectify them or try to explain why they're okay if the bible clearly states they're not and again i want to encourage you in your own time Mm -hmm. go through and read deuteronomy chapter 5 with the 10 commandments and in your own time go through and read uh romans 1 24 through 32 because you can see that in there where they list everything yeah so it's really good and and that's that's why you can get to a point too like you know i've i've heard uh Honestly, probably one of the biggest persecutions I've ever suffered in my life is just by taking the stance of Romans chapter 6 and Romans 8, which is, you know, (laughs) we have been set free from sin. Oh, how controversial (laughs) that that we can actually actually be empowered to have victory over sin. And so I I heard a, a minister one time who somebody had objected to that to him. And he's like, okay, now let's just sit down here and let me take you through this. And he went through the whole thing in... Galatians chapter five and was just like, okay, um, the works of the flesh are manifest. He said, so did you commit adultery today? And it's like, well, no, of course not. Did you commit fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, <laughs> uh, idolatry, witchcraft? Were you, were you out burning, you know, something you should have been burned? And the pastor, of course not. Why would I do that? And then he went through the rest of them was, uh, witchcraft, hatred, variances, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings. And he said, so did you kill somebody today? And he's going through all these things and the pastor's like, no, I would not, I didn't do that. He said, so then why would you doubt that Christ has made you righteous? Mm -hmm. Why would you doubt that? Why would you doubt that? 
And I understand that you, you might be struggling with something that you have to make right. And it's a practice and you have to apply the word of God and declare it over your life to get it out of your life. But there's hope in the scripture to know that we can go from glory to glory and that we can get sin out of our life. Yeah. And we you can might make overcome. Some, some mistakes if, but you have to be quick to repent. You have to be quick to repent. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and we overcome that way yeah. through grace, through the through God, through the Holy Spirit, through Christ and the blood that He shed for us. Mm-hmm. All of these things, so that we are no longer slaves to sin. Yeah. We can be free. We can rule the sin. We can rule over the desires of the flesh. We can rule mm-hmm. over the lust of the eyes. We can rule over the pride of life, so that it no longer yeah. influences us anymore. So that it no longer. And I'm not saying like anymore, meaning like you're never going to be tempted, but yeah. I mean, you, it you can, it doesn't have control and dominion over you. Exactly. Yeah. You have dominion and control over it. Yep. And you say, you know what? I'm not going to let this rule my life. I'm not going to be drugged around by this, but I'm going to be led by the spirit mm-hmm. of God, the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, yeah. the power of God, the blessings of God. And I'm going to see them manifest in my life because I can clearly understand yeah. What is right and what is wrong? Yep. Amen. Amen. Did you have anything else you wanted to add to that? Nope. I think we're good. <laughs> <laughs> well, we want to thank you for watching. You know, at the time of this recording, just a couple of things we have coming up. We've got the uh, baptism service coming up on April 7th. So if you'd like to be baptized, you know, if you've never made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, you know, I just want to give you an opportunity. I know even though this podcast is probably quite dense informational wise, (laughs) (laughs) thank you for sticking with us. (laughs) But I just want to just pray with you quickly. Just say this with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. Be Lord of my life and take control of me in Jesus name. Amen. 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 And we just want to thank you for watching. If you're new to the ministries here of the Cathedral of His Glory, uh, this is a Glory Now podcast, and we want to invite you to join us on Sunday mornings, 4501 Lake Jeanette Road, Greensboro, North Carolina, at 1030 a.m. We hope to see you there, and God bless you.